For our scripture reading, this morning we turn to Psalm 145. We read this because as the psalm itself will make clear, it is largely a prayer. A prayer, of course, intended to be sung, and therefore in the psalms, reminding us too that even when we sing, often we are praying to God. But consider especially the content of what David writes here in inspiration, Psalm 145. I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty, and of thy wondrous works, and men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness, and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. The Lord upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand, and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. We read that far in God's word. And consider 
This morning, the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 45. Why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because it is the chief part of thankfulness which God requires of us, and also because God will give His grace and Holy Spirit to those only who with sincere desires continually ask them of Him and are thankful for them. What are the requisites of that prayer which is acceptable to God and which He will hear? First, that we from the heart pray to the one true God only who hath manifested Himself in His Word. For all things He hath commanded us to ask of Him. Secondly, that we rightly and thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may deeply humble ourselves in the presence of His divine majesty. Thirdly, that we be fully persuaded that He notwithstanding that we are unworthy of it, will for the sake of Christ our Lord certainly hear our prayer as He has promised us in His word. What hath God commanded us to ask of Him? All things necessary for soul and body, which Christ our Lord has comprised in that prayer, he himself has taught us. What are the words of that prayer? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. <clears throat> Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning as we consider the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism, we first take note by way of introduction that the subject matter that we enter into, namely prayer, is one of two main activities of the life of the child of God that was explained earlier. The Catechism, in explaining our deliverance, went on in the third section to explain really what that deliverance looks like. How is it experienced? How is it known? What is it? And the third part of the catechism really sets that forth, calling it the life of thankfulness, indicating that on the one hand, the thankful life is for a life that God has freely granted for his namesake in pure grace and the life that he works and is the source and power of and at the same time is the very life of that salvation that he grants from the dead to us. And when the child of God asks himself, well, what is that new life? What is the life 
of conversion, the life of a child of God. What does it look like and how does it behave? The Catechism says there's two things to look at and examine. The first is the law of God, and the second is prayer. Together, those two things comprise the two basic elements of fellowship with God. The fellowship that we have with God in the covenant, which fellowship has its source in God's fellowship with us, is repeatedly in Scripture highlighted as these two things, calling them walking with God and talking with God. The walking with God is our walking in love of the love of fellowship with God that really is set forth in the law of God. The law of God summarizes what it means to love God and therefore what it means to walk with Him and includes in that, of course, our neighbor as an expression of love or walking with God. The second part, talking with God, is explained according to the Lord's Prayer. Therefore, the connection is made between prayer and the activity of fellowship with God called talking with God. Interestingly and importantly, the Heidelberg Catechism is so bold to say that talking with God or prayer is the chief of those two main activities, the chief. Now, it is not our purpose in one sermon really to set forth why that is chief compared to, say, walking with God as set forth in the commandments of God, but hopefully you will see that and say to yourself again and again as we go through all the various instruction of the Catechism on prayer, why that is. But for right now, we may say that this holds true even with regard to human fellowship, that the basic element of human fellowship, whether that be as husband and wife, or children and parents, or saints, is that we talk with one another, and is therefore the chief part of our communion with one another. And we find that really even in our worship with God. Our worship with God, and especially its chief form that we find on the Sabbath day, is a talking with God. God talks to us, and we in turn talk with Him. Consider with me this morning talking with God in prayer. And we notice in the first place the fellowship, secondly the requisites, and finally the promise. In our first point this morning, what we will focus upon is 
what prayer is, this activity we call prayer. How does it behave? What does it do? And hopefully expand our understanding of prayer itself. And we want to focus on the main element of this talking with God we call prayer by making sure that we understand that it is fellowship with God. That's what it is on our part. And we emphasize that because it is our understanding of the covenant of grace that it is a covenant that is a relationship of fellowship with God. That over against the notion that the covenant is simply a promise. Or that over against the notion that the covenant is a business arrangement, a contract with mutual conditions that need to be fulfilled for something to happen. We believe on the basis of Scripture that the covenant of grace, which sets forth how the covenant is established, is essentially, it is as to its basic element, a relationship of fellowship. It is therefore a relationship of love. A relationship that God establishes with us whereby we love Him. And we need to understand that. Secondly, building upon what was said in the introduction, it is important that we understand that the form that our fellowship takes with God is that of obedience to His will, that is, love of God as laid out in the law of God, or what I call walking with God. That's one element, which is why repeatedly in the Scriptures, those that God had established His covenant with, his, even His covenant of grace in the Old Testament, were said to walk with God. And that refers to the fact that not only did God walk with them, that God initiated this fellowship. God is the source of this fellowship by way of revelation, by way of extending His grace and imparting that grace. But also, they talked with God. It's important for us Therefore, to understand that that is what your life of fellowship with God consists of. No one may claim to be living in a relationship of fellowship with God or even claim that God has established a relationship of fellowship with them without walking and talking with God that will always be the inevitable result of God's establishing His covenant of grace with us because that's what it is at its core. 
And now we look at especially what the Catechism says that this life of fellowship takes the form chiefly of talking with God, which talking with God we may call prayer. When we locate the source of this reality, when we ask ourselves, why is it that ordinarily when we live in covenant fellowship with God, it takes the form that it does, that is, walking with God in a life of holy friendship and then talking with God in prayer as laid out in the Catechism, we have to go back to God Himself, which is exactly what we do when we speak about the covenant of grace. The fact that God establishes a covenant, and we call it a covenant of grace, indicates that this is a choice of God, that this is a determination of God that comes from His own good will, and that because God establishes it with those who are sinful creatures, rebellious, fallen in Adam. But it also indicates that there is something else that stands behind the covenant. And that something else, of course, is God Himself. And we believe that the explanation of the covenant, and therefore also its form and its content, has to do with the very being of God itself. The fact is, according to the Holy Scriptures, is that God lives in a covenant relationship of fellowship and friendship, that is, a relationship or a bond, a bond, a union, a communion of love in His own being. God is one being of three persons. And the reality of that is that God lives that life in fellowship, love, that is, the bond or that relationship is expressed by the person's living a certain way with one another in the being of God. And we may, on the basis of Scripture, say that that life of love takes the form of acting and living in complete harmony and union with one another. To put it another way, they walk together. Everything that God does, everything that God thinks, everything that God acts upon is done with all three persons, is done by all three persons. And we see that in every action of God. When God creates, Although there is an emphasis in the life of God upon the Father as the source of all things, so that the creation emphasizes that with regard to the Father, the other two persons are creating. 
Creation comes out of the Father, is through the Son, through the Word, so that He may said, may be said to be the Creator, and is accomplished by the power that is the Holy Spirit. And this is true of all of God's activities. So the persons walk together. They live their life together. Never are they separated. Never are they apart. And it's a mutual walking together. They, as it were, walk hand in hand. Hearts and minds and life all in one harmony. Never is there disharmony and disunity and bickering and fighting that goes on in the persons of the covenant. <clears throat> and the second thing we learn from the Holy Scriptures is that God talks in Himself. That God not only speaks as I and says, I will do this, reflecting that union of walking together and thinking together, but God says, we will do this. And each of the persons will say, I am doing this. And then, amazingly, in many passages of Scripture, we have references to the Father talking to the Son, and the Son talking to His Father, an integral part of their communion or fellowship in the covenant, therefore, is talking. Talking. They don't leave it to the other, as it were, to guess what their thoughts are. Furthermore, if you dig a little deeper, you'll discover what we discover through the pictures and types in our own life, that this talking is a revealing a revealing of the deep thoughts and secrets and mysteries of the heart. And you would think, well, there can't be any in God. And the reason is, is because they are all shared. Everything that the Father knows and thinks, all His thoughts, He communicates through speech with His Son. He reveals His will. He reveals His desires. He reveals His good pleasure. He reveals His love. By speaking of that love, he, as it were, says to the Son, I love you, Son. I love you. And the Son speaks back to the Father, I love you, Father. Now, this is what explains why our life of fellowship with God is what it is. And when we look at that fellowship from our perspective, what the confessions and scriptures call our part, we always understand that even as is reflected in the covenant life of God itself, that fellowship that we have with God has its source in God. And that's true with speaking to God and therefore prayer, and we have to understand that. One cannot pray and does not pray and will not pray with God. That is, talk with God unless God first speaks to them. God's fellowship always begins. It is the source. It is that from which all blessings flow, including all the blessed life of the covenant. 
And it should not surprise us that that all begins with God walking with us and talking to us. God revealing His purposes and His plans. God revealing His will. God delivering us from evil. We have to understand that. Whatever speech we have toward God, whatever walking we have with God, whatever talking we have with God, is always a response to God Himself. Our love to God is always a response to God's love to us. It's the purpose of His love. It's the end and goal of His love. We live a holy life only because God has deemed it His good pleasure to live a holy life with us. And when we speak to God, it is amazing how often this is reflected in Scripture too. It is always in response to some speech of God toward us. Maybe often it's unspoken speech, but if you look at the Scriptures, the children of God were always in tune with that. Perhaps a child of God raises a prayer to God and wants to speak to God about trouble and affliction and enemies and sorrows, but always recognizes that all that one wants to talk to God about is a response to God speaking to them in those very afflictions and sorrows. Seize in the pestilence and in the famine and in the warfare or in the disease that oppresses and causes sorrow. God speaking, and God speaking very loudly. Even when the child of God goes to God and asks for the forgiveness of sins, it's in response to God teaching and making clear the child of God is a sinner and needs the forgiveness of God. It is in response to God, sometimes working in amazing ways, chastising and speaking through other means to drive us to our knees to speak to Him in prayer. When we look at what prayer is, it's also important for us to understand that prayer can take many different forms. On the one hand, it's helpful for us to remember that prayer is essentially only one thing. It's simply talking with God. That's it. And that's helpful because it helps us understand that prayer does not always take the same form. Sometimes we confuse prayer with the form. And form can be important. Form refers to how we speak, the words that we use, the posture that we take in prayer, or even when we pray. The form, say, for example, of our congregational prayer, where one is speaking out loud and the others are speaking in their heart that one same word. But to think of prayer as talking with God makes clear really how often and how frequently we actually engage in this behavior even if we do not have the form 
that we might often have in prayer. It is true, if we are honest, that many of us do not pray as we ought. And we are ashamed and embarrassed by that. We ought to remember that because prayer is an essential part of fellowship with God. It really is impossible to fellowship with God without speaking to Him or talking to Him. And that exposes how little actually we consciously live our life before God and with God. How often it's the case where we are content to claim only that God is with us and God is near us, but our thoughts and our speech and our activity is far, far from Him. That's our sin and sinfulness. And that is why it is good for us to make good habits early in life, praying at set times, perhaps as soon as we are conscious on our bed, to be uttering a prayer to God even while lying there on our beds. Or the last thing that we think of at night is God, and we find ourselves talking with Him in prayer, or before and after our meals. But having said that, if prayer is simply a mere custom, habit, or superstition, then our prayers are really no different than the false prayers that were uttered by many, many, many false Christians and false descendants of Abraham who prayed to idols. Having said that, the child of God also probably prays far more than they realize. Perhaps you can go back in your own life, and I would say this should be characteristic of your life if, in fact, you are a child of God. That God is in all your thoughts. And when you examine your thoughts and examine your decisions and examine how you speak, even when you're speaking to others, how often actually you're talking to God, you're at least thinking about who He is, and you are aware that He is examining you, that He is the one that governs and controls what you may say and not say and what you think, and there's concern for God, real love and concern in one's heart. And so, from another perspective, it should be clear how it really can be said that prayer is the chief part of thankfulness, that it, that it should be there. There should be a certain continual speech of God at all times, even when we're not consciously walking with Him, perhaps, when we're just sitting there, seemingly doing nothing. Then is our not our mind engaged in speech with God. That, that should be part of the normal Christian life. And to the extent that is not our life, then we need to examine that life and ask ourselves, why is it that I 
find I cannot talk with God or do not talk with God. Oftentimes it's related to the fact we don't want to walk with God either. Now prayer also has many, many different elements and like speech, even human speech with one another in fellowship, it can take a lot of different forms. Look at a husband and wife. One of the amazing characteristics is how communication, even verbal communication, is essential to a loving, wonderful marriage. It is essential. Many, many marriages find that out the hard way, with great hurt often as a result. There should be communication, speech. And that speech expresses the love that one has for the other. There should be a certain a requesting of things, an asking of things, a, a sharing of thoughts. But it, it's not all the same kind of speech, is it? Simply to talk about your day and the experiences of your day. Or to speak about the meal that you're having. And to talk about... Uh, the children, or whatever it might be. Th that, that speech has many different elements to it and content to it. And thus it is also with prayer. We're going to learn that as we go through the Heidelberg Catechism's explanation. This is why in Scripture prayer goes under so many different names and forms. We have the basic word prayer, and that especially makes clear that it's both a form of worship and praise and also petitions. Catechism is going to talk about petitions, and that's brought out by different words like supplication or plea. But there's words like cry, but simply speaking, my speech. Many, many different words, and they all point out that prayer, although essentially talking with God, has elements of worship, elements of praise, elements of confession, elements of petition, asking, inquiry, and they too can take many, many different forms. Next we want to talk about and look at the requisites of prayer. Now when the Catechism refers to requisites, what it's talking about is the essential elements of prayer, what the Catechism calls a herd prayer. And what it's doing there is distinguishing true prayer from all sorts of other things called prayer or assumed to be prayer that aren't prayer at all. Just like there's churches that claim to be true, but they're actually false. There's even faith that claims to be true, but it's actually false. And we ask ourselves, what is it that distinguishes true prayer from false prayer? The Catechism says you need to look at these things. Now before we look at them, there's a couple of things that also teach us more about the activity of speaking with God, which is that it's not essentially something we do out loud. It can be out loud. It can be verbalized with our mouth. 
It could be said so that others can hear, but that's not what it is essentially. Essentially, prayer is an activity in the heart. That is, it involves the soul and the faculties of the soul. It involves the mind and the will and the desires and the emotions. It's internal, essentially, as opposed to external. That is, if we speak to God simply externally, with verbalization, following certain forms, that's not necessarily prayer. If the thoughts of the heart aren't there, that's brought out when in the very first requisite, it says that first we from the heart pray. It's a matter of the heart. Then when you go on, it talks about deeply humbling ourselves. Well, is humility something that's essentially an external thing? Sure, we can express humility by our posture on our knees, on the ground with our face down and other such things. Yes, it's possible that a prayer show itself to be a proud, self-centered prayer simply by the form, but humility is a matter of the heart. It's the matter of how we see ourselves before this God to whom we pray. Knowing our need and misery, that's a matter of the heart. Again, it's the knowledge of the heart. Also notice that this is a matter of faith. If you ask how we pray, the answer always is by means of faith. And we should understand that too with regard to what we receive through prayer. We may rightly speak of prayer as a means by which we receive things from God. We receive things from his fatherly hand. The Catechism is not afraid even to say that prayer is a means by which we ask for and give thanks for the word and spirit or the grace and spirit of God. What it's talking about there is how faith requests. How does faith ask? Because we have to understand that all of our life in the covenant is by faith. Everything we receive from God is by faith. And everything that we do, including prayer, is by faith. So that even prayer, when we talk about it being a matter of the heart, is more specifically a matter of faith in the heart. It is an activity of faith. And there too, even when we receive from God, we receive that by faith. Faith must receive. Why is that? Well, because if it's not faith, then we will find that we pray with a proud spirit. Or we imagine that we, saw, we somehow obtained what God gave us by our very act of praying. That is the prayer itself that obtained what God gave. Or we don't even pray to the one true God. We think or imagine we might be doing that, but instead we're simply kneeling down before a huge idol that we've made in our own mind. So understand that. 
with regard to the requisites. If one had to simply lay them out as to what's assumed, you will discover that the one great requisite is faith. Apart from faith, one cannot pray. Apart from faith, one cannot receive what God grants or receive it as grace. Without faith, one cannot know God rightly. When we look a little deeper at the requisites, you will see that they first of all have to do with that. Who is this that we are praying to? Answer the one true God of Scripture. Prayer to anyone else or anything else or any imagination that we might have with regard to God, it is no prayer. Prayer comes before the God exactly as he's revealed in Scripture. The God who is all-powerful. The God of the covenant. The God triune. The God who has saved us and delivered us from the guilt of our sin through redemption in the blood of Jesus Christ. The God who hears and answers prayer by grace and in his mercy for Jesus' sake and not our sake. This should be self-evident. Anything other than that, we are no different than all those who bowed down to Baal and golden calves and Molech and Chemosh and all such like. Notice it's the God who reveals himself in his word, not the God as I think he is or as the God as I imagine him to be. Notice also as regard to that and faith, faith understands that I may ask God for anything and everything. There may be many things that I'm curious about, that I want to know about, that I want answers from God for. That's happened before. Job learned that. You may ask God everything. You may demand certain things of God. We pray for those things he's commanded us to ask. God has revealed these things you may ask for. These things you may come to me in prayer for. Again, it has to do with faith. The second one, too, has to do with faith, that we rightly and thoroughly know our need and misery. Notice that. True faith understands its real need and misery. That's not necessarily the sickness we're going through. That's not necessarily the trouble that I happen to be having at work right now. Notice that faith rightly and thoroughly knows our real need and misery. What's our real need and misery? My real need and misery is that I don't lose confidence in God or trust in God while I'm sick. My real need with regard to my sickness may be that I may be healed so that I can care for my children. If I'm dead or continue to be sick, then my children, God's children, the children of the covenant may languish. My real misery may be my own sin and my own iniquity, not necessarily the effects of that sin and iniquity that often I only mourn over. So notice that too. What we bring to God in prayer reflects what is in our soul with regard to faith about our real need and misery. And if we examine ourselves, we're going to find out 
Yeah, oftentimes what I think is a need and a misery isn't really the real one at all. And notice, the purpose of that is so that we humble ourselves in the presence of the divine majesty. There's another thing with regard to prayer and the activity. Why should prayer take the form that it takes often? Why do we pray in the manner that we do? Because our speech should reflect our position before God. Yes, God is our friend. In fact, God is the closest friend that you will ever have. Should all other friends forsake, God will still be your friend. God is the one who will receive all your prayers that come by faith. And God, you will find at some point in your life, sooner if not also later, that is the one that you will find always hears and you know he hears and wants him to hear more than any other. But God is also our Lord and our King. God is the one who has redeemed us from all our iniquities and given us his own spirit, which means we're also his servants. When we walk with God, we walk with him as a servant. We are obeying His will and not our own will. And our prayers reflect that. They must reflect that. They must reflect that on the one hand, prayer is a privilege. We may even use, as it were, the word right. A right that Jesus has obtained for us to commune with Him. Which is why all prayers are mediated by him, as we have seen before in the Catechism. All prayers to God the Father go through the Son and are by the power of faith, the Holy Spirit. So prayers are humble, deeply humble. But notice also prayer is confident. And here I'd like to switch over to the third point and final point, the promise. should not surprise you that if prayer is by faith, that one of the requisites, again, has to do with faith, is that we're fully persuaded of something. Whenever we're fully persuaded of something, we're talking about faith. Faith is the instrument of trust, the instrument of assurance, the instrument of being fully persuaded. Faith, therefore, goes in with a certain confidence. Not with doubt, not with uncertainty, but confidence. Now, what is the confidence in? Is the confidence in myself? Is the confidence in my prayer itself? No. The confidence is in God and His promise. And you will discover that, too. When you make inappropriate prayers and requests and petitions and supplications to God that are based on our own will and our pride, you won't have any confidence God will answer. That's truly a wing and a prayer and a prayer that's basically worthless. No, we're fully persuaded of what? That God will certainly hear our prayer. All prayer, all speech, all talk? No, of course not. Prayer as it's just been laid out. The prayer of faith. That kind of prayer, one knows God will hear. And how do we know that? Because God has told us so. 
sometimes as an exercise for your meditations, go through the scriptures and notice how often we're assured of that. God will certainly hear. God will answer. God will grant what we need and what we ask. That's his promise. Now again, that presupposes that we're praying to the one true God, not some figment of our imagination. We're praying for the things he has commanded to us to ask of him. We're praying with humility, not simply demanding and saying, give me for my sake. No, we're recognizing who we are before God. The blessing of that is, and this is an amazing thing too, we could ask ourselves sometime, why, why does God, why does God make that? the chief means of communication and fellowship with him. And there's a lot of answers. Why does even God talk about answering prayer, responding to prayer, granting after we've made the request? Part of the answer to that is because the Holy Spirit uses that to confirm faith too. Maybe you've experienced that. Hopefully you have. It's an amazing thing. When we, when we especially have been blocked from all other avenues of help, which is foolishly the case, we go here and there for help, we talk to this person and that counselor and this professional, and, and no one really helps. No one really can help. Maybe we feel some temporary help. And then we go to God and we make very, very specific requests and we do that out of a sense of utter humility and destitution. Only God can help. And he grants exactly what we ask. What does that do? It only furnishes opportunity to give further praise and honor and have even greater confidence in him. Hopefully these are the things that we'll see in the future with regard to prayer as we consider the continued instruction of the Catechism on this, our talking with God. Amen. Let us pray. Well, Lord our God and Father, we thank Thee for our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the mediator of our prayers, and the fact that Thou art the God who is the source and power of our prayer through the Holy Spirit and thee as the living God whose will we follow and seek to obey. We pray, O Lord, that thou wilt help us to be those who pray, those who desire to fellowship with thee, our God, through that great and wonderful activity of prayer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.